calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Welcome to Story Smack. Hello, my name is A. Kovacs, audiobook narrator and founding partner at Empty Set Entertainment. And my name is Scott Sigler, best-selling novelist and raconteur. Would you like to know more? <laughs> this, believe it or not, is episode 30. 30. Yay! Of Story Smack, <laughs> a podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. Today, we're talking about a sci-fi flick that some call a classic, and some call classic trash. How dare they? The slightly divisive and very very fun starship troopers ah i cannot and i we even got some comments on that when i pre-posted on our facebook page uh posting something like oh that's classic garbage i'm like listen pal um first of all this flick is 20 years old it came out november 7th 1997 so it's 20 years old in one week it was a blockbuster intended to be a blockbuster at the time with a budget of 105 million it grossed 54 million domestically which would be considered a flop and 121 million worldwide, which would still be considered a flop since the promotional budget for a flick is usually estimated to be about half that of the production budget. Yeah, it's a rough call. It's yeah. a rough call. But, um, you know, it should have done, you know, these days, even back then, they didn't really even count the international. Now it's a little bit different, but it's yeah, yeah, still. Yeah, good point. The international wasn't nearly as big back then. And now, right. it's, now it's the majority of your income yeah. comes from international. Yeah. But they broke even at the very least. Um, this movie was directed by Paul Verhoeven, who mm -hmm. goes on to uh, Striptease, I think. Oh, no, no. Showgirls. Showgirls. Thank you. Yes. Showgirls, uh, who did a ton of gory sci-fi back in the day before mm -hmm. his big departure for Showgirls, unless people think that's sci-fi, which it may it's well be. another classic trashy movie. Yes. <laughs> he was a big name uh, director doing films like Total Recall, RoboCop, and Basic Instinct. And here's a fun fact. I discovered this while looking up information and also things you might not know. He got his start in directing while in the Royal Netherlands Navy. He was making documentaries for the service. Oh, that's interesting. So he does have some perspective on military yes. life. And at least more than I do. That is for sure. That is <laughs> yeah. for sure. So I cannot criticize the military behavior in this film. So the script was written by Edward Newmeyer, who also wrote RoboCop, RoboCop 2, and the recent RoboCop remake. Yeah. Ooh, he has also written Starship Ship Troopers 2, Heroes of the Federation, and Starship Troopers 3, Marauder. Which, holy cow, did that suck. I actually enjoyed Starship Troopers 2 uh, a little bit because the special effect... The, one of the main reasons to watch this movie is special effects. And the special effects in that one are good. And side note, the director of 2 was the special effects guy for 1. Interesting. Yes. Yeah, yes. sort of knows the movie in and out. So you, Maybe you've that not, kind of uh, thing. You've not seen Marauder? Oh my goodness. No, I'll, I'll tell you, for me, I love the name. Marauder mm -hmm. is such a great indicative yes. of what might be inside name, but I hope this doesn't cause a schism in the Lair of Doom, <laughs> but as much as I like... Uh, Starship Troopers, I like it because it's a so bad it's good kind of a oh, movie. Oh, shit. Yeah. I mean, oh, I, you son of a bitch. But it isn't for the reasons you think. Okay. It isn't, oh, geez, a big bug movie, whatever. It's different than that, but it's still, you know, if it didn't have the giant uh, Harryhausen bugs, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's not people at the top of their acting game. <laughs> All right. Well, do yourself a favor. Don't watch three. You might watch two, but don't watch three. Uh, Troopers 1, Starship Troopers 1, also featured some up-and-coming actors. Denise Richards, who we all know now, played Carbon 
Ibanez then. Mm-hmm. Clancy Brown was Sergeant Zim. Yes. God, Look great. The greatest. The I love greatest, Clancy Brown. Yeah. Neil Patrick Harris as the telepathic Carl Jenkins. Yes. And this was who, his first I don't know if anybody I... knows, but Neil Patrick Harris went on. He was Doogie Hauser. He, he was uh... Doogie before. This was his first thing outside of Doogie, I believe. Yeah. And it yeah. was a weird, shocking casting. He's done a few other time. things well, since A couple, a couple things. two, three things since then. Yes. Uh, Patrick Muldoon as Xander Barraclaw. Barcolow. 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 Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jake Busey as Ace it's huge. I'm, this is a surprise <sighs> to you all. I'm a huge Jake Busey fan. I of love course. Jake. I love Jake Busey. Of course. He's not in enough stuff, if you ask me. Yeah. And Casper Van Dien, of course, as Johnny Rico. Johnny Rico, Rico, yes. And Michael Ironside as Gene Mm. Razak. He was awesome. He's awesome in everything that he does. He really is. He's just amazing, and he was great in this. Although... FDO, we really can't forget that this movie's based on a classic book of the same name by Robert Heinlein. A very classic book. Uh, I've learned a lot about, I've read this book a while ago, and I've learned a lot about this book while researching it, which is interesting. Some things and things you may not know about this movie, which are coming up at the end, but it is pretty easy to forget that the book and the movie are supposed to be based on the same thing, seeing as the movie has almost nothing to do with the book. They basically took the name, the general concept of troopers fighting on foreign planets, and that is it. Uh, perhaps the biggest difference is that in the book, Heinlein was among the first to introduce the concept of soldiers wearing powered armor mm. that had been done in a couple of books, but they weren't quite as big as Starship Troopers. And it's kind of the point of the book, one of the main points of the book, at least uh, tactically, and it's not in the movie at all. Some other key differences, ma'am. The love plot with Carmen and Johnny is non-existent in the book. Uh, she has a brief platonic date with him when she's in OCS. It's the, the co-ed military, especially common showers, not, not in, in the, the book at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Romance between Rico and Dizzy Flores doesn't happen. Also, Dizzy is a dude in the book. So could have the romance, but there was no romance there of any kind. Yeah. Pretty much the entire story with Carmen, her training, participation in space battle number one, participation in space battle number two, not in the book at mm-hmm. all. Um, let's see. It's in the book. She enlists, and you don't hear anything from her since that. Carl's character, which is- uh, Neil Patrick Neil, Harris. Neil Patrick Harris. Dies off early in the book. Really? Off page. Yep. Yep. And gets merged in the listening specialist character. The listening specialist character who's in later gets merged in Neil Patrick Harris's movie in. Yeah. And that is not an uncommon tactic. Yeah. Character, character compression. I'm dealing with that writing Mount Fitzroy right now where I have a scene with 11 characters going through a situation, shall we say. Mm. And it's, it's a lot. And I'm considering removing some or compressing. It's just a lot to work with. And finally, the biggest difference between the book and the movie is all of the naval fighting in the mm-hmm. movie, which is a huge part of the film, that is not in the book at all. Really? Yep. Well, and it's interesting to me because the, uh, you know, we've seen this recently with World War Z that uh, somebody sort of, or the, the, the filmmakers sort of decide to just lift the, the general concept. Yeah. But that's kind of it. And, yeah. and a lot of people complained about that. My, one of my favorite books in the entire universe is a book called Winter's Tale by Mark Halperin. And yes. it was recently made into a movie. And it is literally the most disappointing thing I have ever <laughs> seen. But that's, at least the they tried theater. to make that book into no, the movie. But they didn't. they didn't. They didn't. They literally took the names of the characters and the mm-hmm. idea that they sort of worked for a newspaper. I, I'm not even, and this is an aside, but I will never live it down. I will never forgive them. It's for, Ang Lee did this. Yeah. And Akiva yeah. Goldstein. Never going to forgive it. <laughs> Akiva Goldsman. Uh, they took this really devastating plot point mm-hmm. with one little kid and literally, and, and it was a huge plot point that, that helped serve to mature the entire plot line. Okay. And they take his name and they name a stable hand, the same name. And that's it. Not you, you get nothing of that. Yeah. Oh, I remember that part. Yeah. Oh, I'm so disappointed. So yes. disappointed. Yes. So the question then is, since I have not read the book, mm-hmm. did you like it? The book. All right. This is going to shock many male sci-fi fans ages 45 and up. Uh, I'm going to go against established sci-fi orthodoxy and say, I didn't like it. I did not like it. And more than that, you do like the movie. I, lo- I love this movie. Tell me I more about movie. why you don't like the book. Tell you what, the book was, first of all, it was published in 1959. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a completely different time, both in our country, in the overall culture of the world, and in publishing. Uh, it, but the book, although it has persisted for a long time, it's incredibly simplistic. The good guy is all the way good. There's no conflicting thoughts. It's almost like reading a travelogue narrative. You know, there's there's really no depth to the main character at all, which is part of why I got out of sci-fi in my in my teens because all of the classic sci-fi I would read them and like. These the 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 characters are terrible. Basically, it was 
cardboard characters to explore this big scientific concept. That was what it was. Um, there's no gray area in the book. He's just the good guy is all the way good. And here's here's where I think I'm going to get hate mail. I'm going to get hate mail. <laughs> if this book was written today from scratch and there was no Starship Troopers before it, it, number one, it would be a YA book. Number two, I don't think it would get published. Well, you know, it's interesting that you say this because as you're talking right now, I we've had this discussion. You and I have had this discussion. I don't think it's a story smack, but when we watched Citizen Kane, mm-hmm. Citizen Kane widely recognized as one of the best, and among, and I agree, one of the best technically proficient movies of its time. Uh-huh. On the Waterfront is another one. And I have a, a, a problem with pre-method acting muslin set, no mm-hmm. breaking the fourth mm-hmm. wall movies that I always see as sort of a technical issue. I don't like the technology. I, I hate to see the sets moving, right. things like that. I can't get past it. Um, but it's similar to what you're saying here. Part of it is in its time, it was legendary. Yes. Yeah, groundbreaking. It's, and it's valuable and value adding. And, you know, we always stand on the shoulders of giants, right? Or, mm-hmm. you know, we always stand at least on the victors who wrote the history's shoulders. Um, that said, I can't really get into it and really truly embrace. Like I know that Citizen Kane was lovely, mm-hmm. but holy shit! It's you watch it now and you're like, yeah. And there's a movie. You, get um, a, you if you were in film school and you made that today, you'd probably get an F. Yeah, and there's a movie I think called Anthology or Anthropology or something like that that okay. Francis Ford Coppola wrote and directed, and he had to fund it himself, uh-huh. and it came out somewhere in the 2000s, and it was. Citizen Kane in the modern age, it, not the storyline, but the approach. Like, I'm just going to do my thing and the people who get it are going to get it uh-huh. and the people who aren't. And I am a huge, huge Francis Ford Coppola fan. I uh-huh. love him. I love his wine. I love his, I'm even one who will forgive Sofia Coppola being emergency casted in Godfather three, even though it wasn't a great movie. I'll never forgive. And I can't, I'm like, Frank, <laughs> Frankie, Frankie, we have to talk, Frank. I don't know what happened here, but we have to talk. Well, uh, uh, and I feel like that's kind of the same thing that happened. It is. It is a classic science fiction book, though, and I have more information on that uh, in the parts you may not know. It is worth the read, if only to get a slice of what elite, high-level science fiction was back in the early '60s. Yeah, and going back to the movie, we really had a lot of fun watching this movie. It was really there's so many fun, cool things. Me personally, I love. There's a moment, and spoiler alert: I know we. Always oh, forget yeah, to do yeah, the let's spoiler, do it right alert. Now. spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. We're going to talk about Star Trek ship troopers in yes. detail. So if you, so if if you, you haven't, haven't seen, seen this, it, stop. Or if you have seen it and it, haven't seen it lately, I suggest you pause this, <laughs> go watch it and come back and listen to us because we know what the fuck we're talking about. Yeah. Well, yeah. And we just, <laughs> we did just see it. So uh, we, there's a, a scene where they have, um, they've just uh, survived a battle uh, with the bugs okay. and it's, and they've, sort of repelled them and and their compound is safe. And uh, the lieutenant breaks out a party. Mm-hmm. And it's very beach blanket bingo, but in <laughs> cheesy B-movie space, right? Yeah. So he has these two pods brought out into the middle of the crowd and he's like, I'm a man and you, I'm a man who believes you work hard and you play hard or whatever he says, mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. like that. And he's this tough, consistently tough, good, honorable guy. Michael Ironsides, yes. Michael Ironsides. And he opens the one thing and it's full, and it's full of a um, kegs of beer. Mm-hmm. And you're like, fuck yes, beach blanket bingo in space with bugs. Okay. Right, okay. And then he opens the second one and it's, he's like, this is to drink. And this is, I forget what he says, but the other one is full of stuff to uh, party with. Mm-hmm. And in that box are three neon footballs, mm-hmm. a neon violin yes. and some other identifiable things, uh, unidentifiable things. And I'm like, you know what? I would go to that beach blanket party. I just, <laughs> I just would. It's so goofy. <laughs> listen, what about you? Did you listen, think it was- I- I'll tell you what, if you've got Jake Busey playing a neon green fiddle, I'm mm-hmm. absolutely going to go to that party. Um, <clears throat> the single most important thing about this movie to me, uh, and it doesn't, it, this part didn't influence my career, but it resonated with my career goals. So all of you listening, if you have read my books, particularly the Galactic Football League series, what this, what this movie has is aliens that are actually alien. This isn't Star oh, Trek, yeah. bipedal, green skin, bump on the nose. It's an alien stuff. It's not fucking 12 foot tall Smurfs in the middle uh, on, on another planet. Uh, this was a genuinely alien species and culture. Um, they, they went out of their way. They're, it's you know it's insect-based or insect-ish in that there are different biological casts. So I guess maybe this did influence the Quith Concordia a little bit. But if we ever do meet another sentient race... 
it's safe to say they won't look exactly like us, but with some crap on their face. So I really enjoyed the work that went into the biology of this. I can remember when this movie was coming out and the marketing campaign showing the silhouettes of the different bugs. I remember getting super excited about it. Then I'm like, these are going to be actual, actual aliens. And I believe that this is one, if not the single best movie for showing us a truly alien, intelligent species. So that is really? my favorite thing about this movie. They took their biology very seriously. They did. And I agree with you there, but uh, the... That's fascinating that, mm-hmm. that you would say. And we can talk about this more when we talk about the we'll whole movie. We'll go through a little bit. We'll I find that fascinating because they seem to me very hive mind oriented and yes. not very technologically savvy or intelligent. To me, they seem like they're responding to an immediate threat to their livelihood correct, correct. and their life. But they, they cover a couple things very briefly in the movie that when uh, the bug populations get to a certain size, they sporify and go out and colonize other That's planets. True. And then we're going to cover some of the... Uh, the ridiculousness of them trying to pretend this they don't know if it's an intelligent race or not when we get into the movie. Okay. So, um, I guess we should talk about the, the cheese yes, fest yes. that is Let's Starship. G- it, it, I, I do not deny it's a cheese fest. I've mm-hmm. never said anything else. Well, you go right from the beginning. They got a totally jingoistic intro. It's so da, 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 da. you're yeah. a good citizen and we're going to win this war because we're great and they're all evil. And one of the interesting things about that is without any context, we see what were propaganda kind of pre-rolls that yeah. you would see if you went to the movies in in wartime in the United, probably anywhere, but certainly in the United States mm-hmm. with the, with the um, Chiron coming up like service guarantees citizenship. Right, and, right. Don't you want to, you know, that sort of thing. And I have more information about that in things you might not know about Starship okay, Troopers. can't wait. But- it's it, what I like about this movie, two minutes and 10 seconds in first dismemberment, only two minutes and 10 seconds into the movie, right off the bat. And our second dismemberment comes two minutes and 28 seconds into the movie. This is an awesome way to kick off a movie. This, I don't know what kind if you like movies with guns and explosions, this is a way to do it. Right. That's, yeah. I was riveted. I'm like, this is awesome. This is great. Further to our earlier discussion. Uh, it is interesting because before those two dismemberments and beheadings and whatever, um, you see the our troops, our starship troopers fighting, mm-hmm. and they're on a bug planet, and the mm-hmm. bugs are wearing no armor at all. Right. I know they have carapaces and stuff, but really, you would think they would protect those. Well, they, they are. It's that's why they're an interesting alien culture. We don't even know if they have any hardcore technology. We don't know if they have computers. We don't even know if they have a written word. It's all communication based, and it's yeah. it's human wave tactics. It's yeah. the tactics that. Uh, the North Koreans plan to use if they invade South Korea. We're going to throw so many so many soldiers at you, you'll just run out of ammo, and eventually we'll right, win that right, battle. Right, right, sure. Very sort of primitive, but from a um, looking at the film from a from a technical standpoint, mm-hmm. these are gorgeous bugs. Oh, they, they and they still and hold up today. Re- they do, and you see them right away. And that I believe I don't have any idea, but if I had to guess, I would say they're part practical effect, part CGI. Yeah, because the CGI back in '97, it just wasn't that good. It was exceptional CGI for '97, and they did combine yeah. it with practical effects. I'm yeah. gonna have to look up a little bit more on that later. But they do. Uh, this is something I face when I'm creating my own stories too. It's difficult if you want to have a slow burn build to the difficult times, like my book, Ancestor, for example, there's no monster and you have to wait through all the gestation and the growth of that creature until it comes out. And you're a good, I think 90 to hundred pages in the book before you get to see any serious, serious tomfoolery or serious blood. What people usually do with a monster movie or monster book is what they do in this, which is we lead off, let's grab your attention with some serious blood and violence. And then one flashback, year ago, one yes. year ago, and what's really cool is they open this up with Casper Van Dien, who we know is the star because he's on the poster. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he's he, the prettiest boy in the, pre- in the land. He's a pretty boy. And he gets hurt real bad in this opening. And then we'll go back to one year later when he's totally clean cut. Well, actually, they're always clean cut through the whole movie. But when yeah. he's a freshly scrubbed high school senior. Yes, exactly. Yes. Um, so then I also found the one thing I found very interesting. And it's super early on. It's in the first five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um I forget, maybe it's the lieutenant. I forget who says it, but somebody says force and violence are the only supreme authority for a violent man. Yes. There's another quote related to that too. I'm curious if that's in the book, which I don't know. I don't remember it's in the book. The the quote I wrote down was uh, Colonel, uh, Lieutenant Razak, who's a teacher. Yeah, the lieutenant. That's When you vote, you're exercising political authority. You're using force and force is violence the supreme authority from which all other authority is derived. Right. So we're talking about the same, same scene. Quote, and I yeah. find that very fascinating because we 
often like I know this is a movie and I'm not I'm not trying to project too much into it. Okay. That said, I find it interesting because that is fundamentally untrue. There are really? legions and legions and legions of people who would tell you that joy is is one's life's purpose. The idea is to protect the things that you love. And mm-hmm. I and and their whole religions based on. I mean it's it's a hugely um sort of patriotic and jingoistic thing in the scene to say, because they are at the academy, right? So yeah. it's well, they're, to no, say, they're just regular high school at that point. Oh, that's right. Yes. That's right. But he's, he's a veteran and we see that later because he goes back into active duty. Well, I'm not sure I agree with you. What I think what he's saying is that when he says violence is the supreme authority from which all other authority is derived, that is sort of a, a global historical standard in that if you have a violent culture, and want to go colonize and take things from other people, you can do that unless they can defend themselves. And it all almost invariably, once you get past, like say the past 50 or 60 years, and it's even happening now, is if you want something that somebody else has, you can you go take it, use violence to take that, that is the ultimate authority. Or you've got enough authority to combat violence with violence to stop them from coming and taking yeah, what you want. Without remember, that, you can't build anything to begin with. To have the once you have those walls. Then you can build an internal structure. With well, other remember, rules. we're talking about different quotes. So my okay. quote that that is the ultimate authority for man, I think, is untrue. I think that that doesn't that doesn't have to be. Okay. Yes, I agree with you. If somebody is violent towards you, you have to be able to, at the very least, defend yourself. But mm-hmm. I don't think that every every person on earth has a kernel of violence and force in their heart as the, as the overriding driving factor. Mm-hmm. Because if that was the case, we would never love the tiny little things that need our oh, care yeah. I, until they're we're, I, we're talking at cross ends. Yes. That's I, what I mean. You, yeah. You're talking about the individual. I'm right, looking exactly. at that. I'm looking at that quote through the paradigm of overall society and structures. Exactly. And, yes. Yeah. And I'm looking at it through a, okay. a, a actual person's eyes or whatever. Uh, but I will say uh, <laughs> right around here, uh, when they're trying to get their assignments and whatever, uh-huh. you see Denise Richards and it's, Perfect. How come? Because Denise Richards now, she's been on The Real Housewife. She's had that whole life uh, exposed with Charlie Sheen and his melt and all that stuff. And she's, you know, it's easy to sort of see her as a um, caricature of herself. Mm -hmm. But in this, she's sort of fresh faced and uh, brown haired and Mm -hmm. uh, she doesn't have veneers on her teeth yet. And she's a little round in the face because I bet she's 20. You know, and And hot. hot, Yeah, oh, she's hot hot. like fire, but it's so fascinating to see this sort of innocent, fresh before she becomes the caricature of herself that everybody loves to hate, which Mm -hmm. I think is probably unfair. Um, And you see that a lot in movies. I I talked a little bit about it. You made me save it for the podcast, which is smart. But you can see in um, you can see Ben Affleck in Chasing Amy. Yes, and there's this gorgeous scene where which. Is flawed. It's very, terribly flawed. But he, he, the basic premise, spoiler alert, of chasing Amy is a is a hetero man falls in love with a lesbian woman, mm-hmm. or maybe bisexual woman, and and tries to convince her that he's in love with her, and that is meant to be. And then they make a go for it, and then it doesn't quite work out. But when he makes that speech, he's like, "I love this about you. I love this. It's gorgeous, mm-hmm. and it's in the rain. It's very dramatic and very beautiful and very romantic from a movie point of view. And it's Ben Affleck, right." Who goes on to be Ben Affleck? Yeah, big deal. Teeny tiny, big deal. Affleck. Yeah, like sort of giant, uh, Southie Boston hair, mm-hmm. imperfect face, mole that doesn't exist anymore, oh. no veneers on his teeth, well. and he's super like because he's there and present and really good at his job. Yeah, he crushes that scene. Uh, he's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. He's a good looking guy then. Not that he wasn't, and I'm not saying, you know, he started as the troll under the bridge, but I am saying now he's clearly veneers on his teeth. You brought up, uh, I think when we were watching this, you made a comment that Ben Affleck then, or Denise Richards then is somebody that a regular person still has a shot to get Exactly. With, yeah. Right? That's where I was going. It's so, like, it's probably not going to happen, but you might have a shot. Yeah. I would, um, I would in a grocery store say, sorry, your cart is in the way to Chasing Amy uh-huh. era Ben Affleck. Yeah. Uh, Hollywoodland or uh, Batman Ben Affleck, I might just wait until he's done with what he's doing because <laughs> I'm a little intimidated. But I he's see. approachable uh, in the Chasing Amy era. You know, it's kind yes. of an interesting, and you see that a lot in, in once, once somebody's become an established star, you see that a lot if you happen to catch one of their earlier movies, I think. 
About seven minutes in the movie, we get into the bug dissection scene, which is super fun. Uh, this is a high school class, and here are these high schoolers dissecting their enemy. Like, mm-hmm. and 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 you think about this, and this is how little respect humans have for these bugs that they capture them and ship them back to high schools so that people can just cut into them as a part of a science class. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they are not respected as a sentient Although creature at all. Although the science teacher absolutely rocks. Oh, is the science teacher? Sci- Rue McClanahan. She's great. <laughs> she has McClanahan. this tiny, tiny part, and she's got this crazy dystopian costume and weird yep. glasses, and she's bizarro. And it's Rue McClanahan. It's a golden girl. It's a golden girl. Just right there. It's for awesome. You, she's for there and then she's pleasure. gone. She's there and she's gone. I will also tell as an aside, I'm with Denise Richard. She doesn't make it through. Uh, Carmen doesn't make it through this scene without puking. Which is awesome. And it is awesome. Uh, and I did that in college. Oh, uh, you're kidding me. I was in organic chemistry and part of the uh, curricula said that I had to dissect beef heart and obtain okay. mitochondria out okay. of the beef heart. Mm-hmm. And my lab partner um, was hungover. Okay. And so the entire time, like she walked in the room and couldn't handle the smell. Because it's fresh beef heart. It smells like blood and beef, you know. It's Okay. And then. It smells the, delicious. Oh, my God. And she couldn't get over it. And she couldn't get over it. And she couldn't get over it. And then the beef heart came out. And then you have to blend it in a blender. What? That's what? how you isolate the mitochondria. Oh, I'm not, yeah. I thought you were making a smoothie. No, no. You put okay. it in there. And when that happened, I turned it on. She walked out puking and grabbed the trash can on her way out the door and never came back that class. Okay. But the damage was done because she had already started puking. And I couldn't recover. And you can't and handle kept, somebody puking? I, I, I guess not. I don't know. But I kept trying to go on. But then after you do that, you add stuff to it. And then you blend it again. But as what you're doing is you are breaking down that beef heart, you know? Sure. So it foams and then it splutters and then it foams some more. And then it swells up big like adding Alka-Seltzer to something. <laughs> so cool. And when that happened, I was like... I'm definitely out. out. Here. I'm definitely going to pee. Had a, Dr. Olson, I'll be back. I had an inverse experience to that when I was in uh, high school and the dreaded frog dissection was coming up, right? Oh, you still had to do we that. We still do a frog. Everybody's like the frog dissection and everybody's sweating bullets. I would say, I would say next to, uh, for a, a boy in high school getting the hernia check for the first time, which is a giant source of dread for Boys in high school. Uh, I can imagine. You're sure. like, oh my God, some dude's going to touch my nuts. This is crazy. You're like, oh, what if I get a boner? What does that mean? And he's like, it's just, yeah, just sure. giant stress. And, and the people who've been through it are like, whatever. But if you haven't been through it, you don't believe anybody. You're like, this is going to, I don't know, this is going to be terrible. I don't know what's going to happen. It's just a source of rumor. This action was a similar thing. Oh my God, we're going to cut open a frog. What if I puke? What if I can't handle it? What's going to, and uh, so everybody's worried about it. Finally, get, you get the little wax tray, right? You get your pins and they deliver, they deliver the frog to you. And I pin the frog down. I'm looking at it. I'm like, okay, here we go. I got to cut this thing open. And then I had an X-Acto knife. I'm like, well, I get to cut something open. This is probably going to be pretty cool, but I might, I don't know what's going to happen. And I cut it open and I flay open his little froggy chest. Mm-hmm. And I'm feeling bad because why does this frog have to die for science or whatever? Right. And I've well, never killed a frog before, what sure. have you. And then- Wait, but you didn't kill this frog either. No, no, he was already dead. Okay, good. He was already dead. Uh, there were all of these little white spots inside of him. And I'm looking at the book and I'm looking at the frog. Oh. And I poke no. at one of the white spots and it's, uh, and it like flicks off. He was full of parasites mm. and I don't remember what the parasites were, but I got super crazy excited. I'm like, uh, get, I don't remember my teacher's name. I wish it did. I'm like, come here. What is this? What is this? Like, are these parasites? He goes, Hey, those are like flukes or some kind of thing like that. And then that, then I was fine. After that, I never had any problem dissecting Because he anything. would have died anyway. Yeah. Well, he would have died anyway. And yeah. just seeing. As, as do we all. As, as do we all. So that frog had it coming. 10 minutes mm. into the movie, ma'am. 10 minutes in, another reason I love this movie. Dizzy? Uh, well, Dizzy's, I, Dizzy's way above Denise Richards, in my opinion. Dizzy's <laughs> the hotness in this movie. Arena football. They actually have oh, arena football in this movie. They do. And it makes so much sense. How did I not know? That? How did I not get <laughs> I that before right now? I don't know. It's great. Like I, when I wrote the GFL series, I seriously was considering making it arena football because that's 11 or 12 people on a team, much more controlled source of characters. And I finally decided to go with made, uh, regular football because more people could identify with it. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, it's far future sci-fi and the concept is pretty simple. It's a much smaller resource center to put on arena football. So sure. I thought I thought that was really cool. It was this flashy, crazy arena football game, and it was tons of fun. So a couple of reasons why I dig this movie, as we get into the rest of this, it's a post-gender military. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter 
a lick whether you're a boy or a girl. There's no preferential treatment of any kind given to either gender for any reason. Yeah, yeah. And we don't see quite a lot of the hierarchy, but I'll agree with you. That's totally true. We don't see we the see hierarchy, but... one female captain. Mm-hmm. All the other leaders are male. We um, wind up seeing two female captains because by the end of the movie, right? Carmen I mean, is I mean not the main characters, but you're right. right. She becomes a, a, a captain too. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's true. We don't see quite a lot of the hierarchy, but who cares? Because and we... in the arena football, it's a full contact sport, which is also post gender because Dizzy's playing. There's a girl on the other team. And it's kind of fun because it mm-hmm. doesn't matter what's between your legs. You can either carry the rock or you cannot carry the rock. And their uniforms are exactly the same. In the arena football, their mm-hmm. armor is... Well, actually both. Their armor in on the field is also the same. As, men and women... Oh, yeah. Men, men and, and women, women are the same. as they don't, yes. have, they don't have boob armor, which nobody needs. Right, right. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah, that's um, good. That's a good point I hadn't thought of. And at 1506, which is... What we're doing, guys, rattling off our Hard Points movie. At 1506... Dizzy's the one after Johnny, who is all, can't we just be friends? And I thought it was fun that there was a role reversal. She got put in the friend zone. Uh, yeah, I'm not so sure the friend zone really exists, but I do like, uh, it's an interesting thing because even when, when she comes, she's super aggressive. She knows he has a girlfriend, yep. all that other stuff. And she's not in a, she's not inappropriate, but she is aggressive. Like, look, if you can be picked off, I'm the girl to do it. Right. Uh, and here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleep Wave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice. Hi, I'm Alexis Ohanian. You may know me as one of the co-founders of Reddit, but more recently, a large part of my identity is being a father to my wonderful daughters. In my podcast, Business Dad, I hope to open the conversation about working parents a bit. You'll get to hear from a wide range of business dads, from Rain Wilson and Guy Raz to Todd Carmichael and Shane Battier to find out how they balance being a dad with a successful career. Business Dad is available now, so be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It's an, a strange thing for me to sort of see like, oh, yeah, because she doesn't stop. He, you know, she, she pokes a few times until he says, can't we just be friends? Right. And then she stops. And uh, then she stops. But it was, yeah, it was a sort of an interesting... Uh, moment for me too. Also, the, I love the score in this movie. The orchestration is very militaristic and very heroic and super fun, but the music they play at the high school dance is incredibly, incredibly bad. It's just terrible. <laughs> so we get to, now here's the thing. When we get to the parts at the end, which uh, uh, things you may not know, there's some I don't agree with. And I'll tell you why the thing I have right here is at 1825, we see a very multicultural group signing up for federal service. There's all skin tones, men and women, different sizes. It's quite a wide variety. So I always thought that was a positive thing about this movie. But some of the things I'll talk about at the end, maybe not so much. Well, and interesting, I, I'm jumping ahead a little because they're in training then, but there's a, the, you mentioned, you touched on this earlier, there's a shower scene about a half, half an hour or so into the movie, Yes, which is uh, mixed use shower. It's men and women both. And, and nobody, no, get, there's no, and there's no sexual attraction or oogling or anything like that. That is right. so, even though so we far post gender, it doesn't even matter. Well, yes and no. I mean, it's yes, you're right. It's uh, even though we know that Dizzy has the hots yes. for Johnny mm-hmm. in the shower scene. No problem. No problem. Cause uh, which I, is, you know, one of the biggest arguments you can't have men and women on the front lines because how will people control themselves? Right. Like they'll control themselves because they're being shot at you. Idiots. <laughs> at and least, their life is more important than their business. And this movie might be a little idealistic, but in that scene, <laughs> a, little, yes. a little idealistic in that scene, it's, you know, it's everybody's just hanging out together and it, cause they're, they're comrades. Um, 19 minutes, 50 seconds, we get the sweet foreshadowing of the three pals promising to always be pals. Yeah. Dizzy, Carl, and uh, Rico, Johnny Rico. Uh, we'll probably never see each other again. No, that's Carmen, not Dizzy. Oh, sorry. Carmen, Rico, and, and Carl. Carl. Yeah. And that Carmen will probably never see each other again. But you know what? Shocker, they will see each other again. Yes. And it's also, see, so remember I said... I like it, but I like it because it's so bad. It's good. This is one of those moments. And it's truly a hallmark <laughs> so on the nose. of, 
Yeah, it's 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 kind of a hallmark of some of Verhoeven's work as well. Yeah. Um, she, Carmen literally says, "You know, guys, we'll probably never see each other again. Let's promise to always be best friends." And like, <laughs> oh my goodness, really? Did you just say that out loud, shiny happy Denise? So we get into training. And we open up with uh, Clancy Brown, who is awesome in everything that he's ever done, particularly the Highlander and the Green Mile. We see Gary Busey as Ace. Who's uh, Jake Busey. Jake Busey. Sorry. Jake Busey is Ace who comes in. Uh, we get the shower scene. And then we get a cool contrast as we're going through this mobile infantry training. These are grunts. These are, you know, mud eaters, right? We switch over to the fleet training where Carmen is and where the grunts, everything is dirty and silly and violent. The pilot training, everything is super clean and crisp and everybody's happy and everybody's doing well. It's a really interesting juxtaposition between the two forces. Well, and it is also a little bit of a, a kludgy way to kind of break into when Rico gets gets promoted later in the movie. Yeah. Like he's not smart on his tests. We learned that in high school and while they're taking their entrance exams. Mm-hmm. And it's just his heart and his pluck and I'm sure his gorgeous face that yeah. help um, him be in a league with Carl and Carmen who are way above him, who are, who are way smarter, do better on the test, do all that. But he's got tenacity and he's got pluck and he's got those eyes. And, yeah. and then later, then later in battle and whatever, he proves his medal and then gets the, the big jobs. Mm-hmm. And then they're all peers again. They're all peers. And the on, I like this, the first scenes in the Naval scenes, because the on ship control graphics, as far as what the, the characters are looking at when they're controlling the ship, those do not hold up to duration. They're like, they're Nintendo level effects, which is nice one. If you can go back to the original star Wars, the, what they are seeing on their screen, this always kills me that special effects people and directors and these incredibly talented artists can make aliens look real, can make dinosaurs look real, can make starships look like, well, of course that's, that's how it could not look more real. Mm -hmm. And then you look at what they're using to control the starship and you're like, that is horrible. That's Uh, terrible. Is that 8-bit? I think that might be (laughs) 4-bit. Is there, is 4-bit a thing? It should be 4-bit. It's so fascinating that they don't come up with some CGI control, you know. But I wonder if it's because, and especially in a case like Starship Troopers, people have seen Beatles before. People have seen scarabs okay. before, all okay. that stuff, right? Yep. So so you can extrapolate from there and do something crazy. We were in 97 at the very, very early edges of a shared network computer. Mm-hmm. And you remember, I wrote all those go-to programs and everything in high school. It was really, really basic. So compared yeah. to that, you know, and I mean, maybe 97 is a little later than that because it's right when the internet is happening, yeah. you mm-hmm. know. But um, we are... In 97, I'm almost positive we are putting our phone into the modem to call up the... I don't know. You think so? I think we're all AOL to get to the internet. It was still dial-up, I believe, yeah. Yeah, so if that's the case, they're trying to be, you know, it's, but you... It's one of those things. How do you how do you imagine the pink elephant in the? How do you imagine something other than the pink elephant in the room? Well, now you can't because I've just told you about the pink elephant. You know, so you can't right. imagine something else. So that's good. That's good. Yeah. You've answered my question. I see. Uh, Thirty nine minutes in the big breakup when she tells Johnny, "I want to go career. I have to follow my heart." And Denise Richards' acting ability in this particular movie not the best, not yeah. the best. But you get the big breakup and another tip on the "We'll always be friends" line, which comes back as a theme. And what's awesome to me in this scene is this is another thing. This is like uh, Neuromancer, mm-hmm. that classic, that classic movie that literally predicted virtual reality. Mm-hmm. Right? He conceived this world that eventually came true, although not as as deep as he has it. But we we've had that. We've had Second Life and all those things. And the point in the opening scene of the book is the main character returning a VHS tape. So he <laughs> he visualizes virtual reality but never crosses his mind that movies will just be delivered over the same network that does a virtual reality. Right. Johnny Rico gets his breakup via a CD. Yes, he does. <laughs> He's yes, on he a does. starship. He's on a starship traveling to another world faster than light travel. And his breakup shows up on a CD. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just bad. awesome. Uh, okay. So wait, right around here, 40 minutes in 40 something minutes in, what is the, why are there lashes? Oh, uh, during the, because when they are in training, uh, when he's in boot, he's in boot yeah, camp yeah, yeah. and Johnny, who's awesome, gets promoted to squad leader. And then uh-huh. they go through a live fire training exercise. So they have live ammunition oh, right, right, in right. the weapons, which is designed to make sure you're on points. So you're not killing your own people. 
And then the big farm boy has trouble with his helmet. Johnny stops home with his helmet. And again, the, the farm boy dies. Right? Farm boy gets that. fired. So he gets lashes. He gets demoted back uh, from squad leader back to private. Mm-hmm. And then he takes his lashes. He says he wants to stay. If he's staying, he has to take his lashes for incompetence in command. Gets his lashes. Then as soon as he gets his lashes, because he feels so bad, that's when he quits. He doesn't quit until he gets his lashes. Yeah. And then right when he's doing the walk of shame out, the world changes. Is when the yeah. world when the world changes. But I find the uh, lashes fascinating because, and this is not Casper Van Dien's fault at all, right? Mm-hmm. He's a good-looking actor. He's working real hard. Working hard. But he also everybody else, all the crew, all the higher level crew, all the executive producers, and everybody know what they have. Know the lightning in the bottle that they have of how beautiful that man is. Yeah. So he could not be more waxed, more oiled, or more <laughs> shined up to receive his very, very cosmetic, poetic lashes yeah which i think like hmm, he's just been in this crazy battle where he watched one of his one of his teammates and his hair is perfectly quaffed yeah and i was like i mean not everybody has a hair i mean not all men have a hairy back but they have just hair like most people have a little not johnny rico not johnny rico johnny rico was was ready was primed (laughs) to do that i don't know whether it was a lashing scene or a gay porn teaser i can't tell you what's going on so Okay, so we uh, at forty four minutes in again, we're getting in that particularly that scene. We're getting the contrast of grunt service to Air Command while Rico is literally getting whipped. Carmen is chilling with her new boyfriend in the cockpit of Starship. I don't starship. think that they're boyfriend girlfriend though. Oh, I they're going to be though. I they're don't gonna, think they so. Go, don't, 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 I don't think that happens. Because here's the thing: on. she shows up and is in command or is part of the command team on the bridge of the dildo based. Yeah. Shaped ship. I've been dreaming about you, baby. Yeah, they're getting into and it. They're not do they would if she's flying to join that ship, or he is, whichever, and you're like, well, this is penis shaped. That's a good sound. Oh, come on. That's an that's the shape a ship would be. You could put the engines in the back and then you got the fuselage. Mm-hmm. It's not gonna look I mean, you can make one that looks like a vagina. I don't know how aerodynamic that's gonna be. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm pretty sure they're just partners. <laughs> they're just teammates. Okay, okay. Uh, 50 minutes in, everything changes. Buenos Aires gets smashed just for Johnny takes a walk down washout lane. And then at 58 minutes, we're getting to our first battle and the ship effects are still pretty good. They're not, I mean, they don't hold up incredibly well now, Yeah. but overall uh, for something that's 20 years old, those ship effects are great. Well, and I have that same thing. And the arachnids in Buenos Aires are a little ludicrous. The, the, the drawn back point of view with the camera and the, the, they're, I do. I think that they do the close-up battle scenes with the bugs way better than they do the arachnids they're destroying on the oh, TV. Oh, the propaganda films. Yeah, they're ludicrous. They're ludicrous. Yeah, they're, they're completely. They're so. Yeah. That, I mean, that's worth watching the movie by itself just to see these silly things. So the battle starts. We get to see the heroic youth unified in cause. They're righteous. They're heading down for combat. Really cool ship transport scenes to get people down. Great orchestration. Uh, the whole battle scene. The whole first battle scene is totally fucking baller. It's great. Thousands of of mobile infantry dropping. It's very D-Day. And then we get the first appearance of the other bug species. We get to see the ones with the big butts that basically Mm -hmm. poop plasma, Mm -hmm. the poop plasma bugs. Uh, And that's really cool. And then at one hour and five minutes in, we're caught up with the opening, the mega violent opening where we see the reporter. We see how Johnny gets hurt. Right. And then um, Johnny actually gets reported dead. And then we found, of course, but he's not dead. Right, he's not dead. He's not dead. Um, here's one part of the movie that's ludicrous. They're trying to show, I think it was ahead of its time showing the talking head bit, you know, mm-hmm. where people just, you know, Stephen A. Smith's of the world and um, all the all the news guys of the world who just spout off gibberish and try and offend people. Um, we have a guy who thinks bugs can't be smart on this part of the talk show. Out of all the horrible things in this movie, this is the one that bugs me the most. So he's trying to say the concept of a brain bug or smart bugs is ludicrous. These bugs just launched an asteroid across the galaxy and pinpointed a major Earth city. Yeah. The amount of math it would take for that, for me, is incomprehensible. But it's not something that just happens accidentally, right? Right. So I, mean, I thought you that, would part, think. Was yeah, I thought yeah, that part was you ludicrous. Would think. Um, yeah, and the, there's a handful of things that are very, again, sort of very B-movie, very jingoistic, very callback to this is easy. The good guy's always good. The bad guy's always bad. And yep. this is one of them. The uh, everyone fights and no one quits. Everybody like, fights. Nobody quits. Everybody quits. 
everybody quits. They either quit their, you know, they, everybody quits because nothing, nothing is black or white, right? So if you are going to be in the fight until the end, you're quitting on your family. You're quitting on your marriage. You're quitting on everything else because the only thing that matters is the fight. So you are a quitter, even when you're not. You quitting. have a dark, dark view of the world. A dark view. <laughs> That's the I, however, is. I have a pedantic point about this. Okay. I only have one rule. Everybody fights. Nobody quits. Those are two rules. Those are two rules. <laughs> Those are two rules. An hour and 10 minutes in, ladies and gentlemen, an influence on the GFL, Johnny Rico is in the rejuve tank. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's that. Uh, I got that directly, directly in, cause I started writing GFL right about 90, actually in 97. I think I started writing it in 97. So you're actually putting all the, all the, yeah. Like I'd had the timeline and all the species and I had this whole, like I started that in the sixth grade. So I've had the whole sig reverse, so to mm-hmm. speak forever. And I'd been trying to find a game that you could not win unless you had multiple species playing it. And sure. I had invented a couple games and tried to come up with things. And then I'd finally gone, Oh shit. Well, football, we're all different sizes in football anyways. And right. I've talked about that story in the past, but yeah, that, so when I'm the read you tank absolutely stuck and you see that repeatedly yeah. in, in the GFL an hour, and 21 minutes in Rico and Dizzy get it on oh, and really? they did get it on. I've been dreaming about you, baby. Let's oh, get Lord. it on. Lord. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Although I do love this because the lieutenant does that whole like, okay, there's bugs coming in oh, yeah, 10 minutes. 10 and minutes. then he's like, he sees that somebody is under the covers and Dizzy says, yes, lieutenant. And he's like, okay, 20 minutes. That's a great line. <laughs> it's great. That's a great line. Which turns out to be real good because unfortunately, unfortunately, oh, I was going to talk about there's a sappy music and everything. And Dizzy's like, I love you, Johnny. And Johnny's got that look. And so he's like, whoa, hold on. <laughs> No, well, to be fair, Whoa. though, to be fair, though, you have seen this movie several times at least. Yeah. I had not. Okay. But uh, Johnny's face is exactly what the both of us said out loud. Like, extemporaneously, was like, whoa, 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 sister. whoa There hasn't up. even penetration yet. <laughs> I mean, Holy that, doesn't make a, that doesn't make you love somebody, <laughs> but... But of course she, it turns out that that's important because that is the one moment that she has before yeah. we don't know. She doesn't know at the time, but her life is about to end. Yes. Um, and in good. this battle that happens is my favorite, my favorite one in the movie because the bugs are very, uh, I said this earlier, sort of very Ray Harryhausen. They're yep. very real and yet not real. Cause you can sort of see the physical effect in the stop motion and whatever a little bit in, especially some of those battles. And, uh, um, right. But they're gorgeous. They're really, really it's so well, well done. I, that's, yeah. I, I, every time I go back and rewatch this movie, I am I was so impressed with the special effects and how real everything looks. Even when it's a little jintzy, yeah. the biological design of these creatures. Now, the, the big beetle bug, okay, that's a big beetle. And the big butt, yeah. the poopy plasma butt bug, yeah. that's a big beetle. The soldier bugs are the best ones because they have, they've got the four legs, they've got the two forearms slashing that legs. Sort there's of pincers and there's stuff. There's nothing yeah. that looks like that in real life. Well, I think they're sort of wasps without wings, aren't they? Mm, I guess you could think about that way, but the, the four, the or four big legs. Of, yeah. There's, yeah. 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 All the but parts the thing are is, in nature, but they put together something that's unique. They did. And that really serves their plot well. Yeah. Um, but I think also there's a, a, an artificiality to the bugs because they don't, the the lighting's just the tiny. It didn't have the rendering capacity back that. then, right? And and like I said, I think part of this is practical and part of it isn't. Mm-hmm. So, as a since there's so many other sort of callback things in this movie, I wouldn't even be surprised if that's purposefully, um, it or them like, or you know, back oh, okay. purposefully chosen to be clearly well, not in. Reality. If you want to see how bad bugs can be done, watch Marauder. Watch part three. <laughs> okay, okay. Part two, the special effects are great in part two. Plus they have a giant bug zapper, which is super fun. So here we go with Planet P, the big climactic scene, an hour and 23 minutes in, some of the, this is some of the silly military oh, parts wait. in this. Yes. Sorry, before we do that, I want to say as the daughter of a mortician, I find it very interesting that when uh, Dizzy dies, she dies with her, she dies sort of an not exactly pretty death for how pretty everybody else is in the movie mm-hmm. and everybody else's lashes and everything are. Uh, but she also dies with her eyes open like most mammals do. Oh, there you which go. Which is rare. Did, did she poop herself? Like I've I, heard happens when I, people I, die. I don't know. I don't know. I've heard that when people die, they poop and pee themselves. Is that, the, is that true? Uh, they, I guess they can cause all their muscles are like, but you often hear that about people who are hung. Their sphincter opens up. Well, your sphincter we have... of course will relax because you don't have any Electrical current in your poop, body, or whatever. and then you get poop. What? But not plasma poop, which is a travesty of evolution. 
Uh, you would prefer plasma? Oh, food? I would. Are you kidding me? If I could poop plasma. Is that plasma, why you eat all that spicy food? <laughs> if I could poop plasma and shoot down starships with my butt, lady, I would be a happy, happy, happy man. Single man. Well, but it'd a happy be worth man. it. It'd be worth it. <laughs> uh, so we go to Planet P and right off the bat, some super silly military parts here. Um, the, it's not exactly, they don't really use serious military tactics through most of this, but this one's ludicrous. They drop a company on an enemy planet with absolutely zero air support. No, I mean, it's supposed to be a controlled planet, but they drop them there. And then uh, Rico becomes sergeant because a dude dies. Mm-hmm. The dude goes up up by himself with no support, goes up to the high point, gets killed. <laughs> and then the lieutenant is immediately like, all right, Rico, I need a sergeant. You'll do until you screw up or until I find somebody better. And Rico gives this quick little charming smile. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, he's charmed that he's a sergeant. <laughs> A guy in his unit just died seven seconds ago. Yeah. Horribly. Died horribly. Yeah. Oh, and anyway, so we get to, uh, then an hour and 27 minutes in, they're looking at the corpses, the horribly, horribly placed corpses in this scene. <laughs> oh my like, goodness. Oh, these are random corpse placements. <laughs> they're just, they look, they look terrible. And then they, the, my favorite quote, they sucked his brains out. Oh, yeah. No. I've been dreaming about you, baby. <laughs> what is wrong Let with get you? On. That scene is so awful because <laughs> Lieutenant puts his glove, his sort of articulated his glove, yeah, in, in the brain and scoops out like Nothing. the gel that comes out on the edge of a ham, a canned ham. It's so terrible. So terrible. It's so bad. It's so bad. Uh, a minute, 31 minutes in. We get a scene that was ripped off in another movie that had a that was a book to movie in name only, the ramp of dead bugs that they <laughs> they pile up the dead bugs gradually making a ramp so the other bugs can come over the edge into the firebase. They ripped it off in World War Z. Mm. All the zombies mm. piling up, piling up, and it's ironic that both movies have nothing at all to do with the book. Uh, one hour forty five minutes fifty four seconds in. If you guys have not seen this, should I tell them what it is or should I just? See, no, they're probably not going to watch this, are they? I it's twenty years old. Okay, I think you can... it's the best, the single best still of the movie. I was able to stop it actually right on the spot <laughs> while we were watching it. And so Carmen is fleeing the the destroyed starship, and there's it's carnage. There's parts of ships everywhere, and ships have been ripped apart. Really gorgeous, gorgeous special effects. And as she's flying, she looks back for one minute. She looks back out the windshield and. And the, the spaceship, the escape pod, smashes into a body that's floating around. A uh, perfectly intact body. No, perfectly intact body. No sort well, of bloodshot sucked eyes. out or something like that. Yeah. You know? And, you know, we have this common misconception that you would get sort of frozen and shatter in space or whatever, mm-hmm. or spaghettified because if you're at a, an event horizon or something. In reality, I think it wouldn't look unlike that, but I do think that your cells would, like, you'd be quite bloated. Uh, and, you know, and, you have to look, I've read many different takes on this and I'm not sure of the answer. I don't know if you swell up like that. Uh, you asphyxiate, you asphyxiate almost very quickly. That's what yeah, really kills but, you. Okay. So let me rephrase. I'm not sure how a dead body that would hit the windshield, I guess, <laughs> of one's spaceship. So good. Uh, it's so good. I'm not sure how that would look, but I am sure of several things. One the captain piloting the ship would not be sitting three feet behind that windshield. It's an escape pod. She's got to be packed. It's very compact. Very compact. Uh, yeah. You know, but you know that's a very important role in an escape pod. So maybe that she wouldn't be sitting in the same position I sit in my car. She might be a little further back from the I see. elements. You don't so like to speak. the ergonomics of the escape pod, is what you're telling me. And the other thing is that body, whatever it does look like, sure as fuck doesn't look like that. It's awesome. It's, it's going to have like at least spidered broken capillaries. It's going to have bloodshot It's so fast. It's, a, you, it's so fast. You're right. You're I right. I remember watching it's that. It's very nitpicky in this movie to, to nitpick about that particular We thing. saw this in the theaters, of course. And then later on, uh, me and Dan Baker, Rob Otto and the whole crew watched it on video. And mm-hmm. we, when we, we didn't see it at the movie. We didn't realize they'd hit a body, I guess, because we mm-hmm. were like goofing around or whatever. We watched the video. We went back and we were around that. I guess we were around that probably 50 times and just laughing, <laughs> uh, laughing our asses up every time. Oh, rewind it again. It was great. So what I'll do for you guys is when I froze it, I took a picture of it. Oh, I opened nice. that picture. So at scottsigler.com slash podcast slash Starship Troopers, in that article, you can see this freeze frame of the, uh, the body hitting the windshield. Hour and 49 minutes in. We finally meet the brain bug. Mm-hmm. 
And it's more awesomeness that this is an actual alien species because it's there's nothing that looks like that. That is an originally designed bug. It's super cool. Not this 12-foot tall Smurf bullshit, right? We're mm-hmm. dealing with some serious things. And then hour and 59 minutes in, hit, hitting the end. Another hit in the jingoistic propaganda. Hey, folks at home, everything is going great in the war. Very World War II. Yeah, oh, very World War II. But just before that, there's a scene where Neil Patrick Harris is sort of saying like, okay, we're going to have to do this. We're going to have to keep up the good fight. But he, among, in the entire movie, he alone under understands that they are the invading force. Mm-hmm. I know we were attacked, but that was a long range attack. And now we are on planet P. We are on someone else's planet. We are the marauders. We are the invaders. And uh-huh. he recognizes that. He's like, yeah, it's an uphill battle, but we got to do this. And I um, appreciate him sort of recognize that they're being um, threatening and overly dramatic on purpose in the B movie sort of way. Yes. <laughs> which I like. They, they embrace the B movie. <clears throat> and that is a uh, that is our Starship Troopers, man. Yeah, right. That with that, uh, do you want to live forever? When they're sort of um, getting all the 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 propaganda kind of speed behind them again is interesting because to me, because I'm a big um, I studied a lot of Shakespeare in college, a big fan of okay. Henry IV and Henry V particularly. And there's a very famous speech in Henry V or Henry IV. Uh, it's Henry V called uh, the St. Crispin's Day speech yep. where he motivates the night before a battle that the, the battle at Agincourt that they are absolutely supposed to lose by the numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He motivates the team by saying, you know what? People back at home, they will rue the day that they weren't here. Right. They will rue that they were children in their beds when their fathers and grandfathers saved their country and their England and whatever. And it's super motivating. And uh, there are a lot of echoes of that, although... Not quite as motivating in the do you want to live forever speech right there at the yeah, end. Uh, yeah. That idea that uh, it it, do, it doesn't quite land in Star Trek ship troopers because I think it's sort of B-movie in the same way it landed for me, say, in Henry V. Okay. But it's sort of the same thing, which I kind of loved. Uh, ma'am, I have some things you might not know about Starship Troopers you if you would like. Oh, geez. Here we go. There are some good ones. <clears throat> this one is coming from ScreenRant.com. Wonderful site. Uh, number one, the uniforms in Starship Troopers were re- reused in Power Rangers and Firefly. Interesting. Reusing everything from stock footage to props has been a cost-effective means of making movies and television around the world for decades. In fact, you could say that recycling hand-me-downs happens almost as frequently as milking old ideas for modern reboots and copycats. <laughs> Maybe originality has been a dying art for a while, but the Starship Troopers uniforms were too good to waste. After Starship Troopers flopped at the box office and started finding its audience on video, the soldier's armor appeared in a Power Rangers Lost Galaxy episode in 99. A few years later, in 2002, they showed up in the train job episode of Firefly, the most famous episode mm-hmm. of, of Firefly. The DVD commentary on Firefly also notes that these were reused again in a later date, albeit painted purple and unrecognizable. Interesting. Let's see. Uh, Casper Van Dien was not the first choice to play Johnny Rico. Oh, who was? <sighs> the first person they had in mind, Mark Wahlberg. Oh, I would have done that. And after him, James Marsden. Uh, also, Spike, I mean. Spike from Buffy. I don't and know. goes on to be an X-Man. Yes. And does really, really well in a sci-fi sort of futuristic movie. And uh, Mark Wahlberg apparently wants to be in good movies, this article says. We found out he's recently said he's ashamed of Boogie Nights, which I think is atrocious. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful yeah, movie. Yeah, but he also, I think, uh, it, that might be sort of his personal uh, religion and, and morality changing over time. Another news, uh, Mark Wahlberg's career went on to be, now he's Mark Wahlberg. He's mm-hmm. a, as big as stars get pretty much. And Catherine Van Dien never escaped. He did his Tarzan movie, which didn't work out. And he's mm-hmm. still doing all of the um, Starship Troopers uh, Interesting. The, the movies. Uh, Verhoeven wanted to mock the novel. Growing up, Verhoeven experienced Nazi-occupied Holland firsthand. So if anybody understands the ugliness that is fascist ideology, it is him. A staunch liberal, Verhoeven's politics didn't correspond with the nationalist and militaristic themes of the novel, so he set out to make them look ludicrous. Hmm. I don't know. This is my best one. No, there's a couple good ones here. Number 11. Casting was inspired by a Nazi propaganda film. Starship Troopers has never been praised for its acting, as we have mentioned. Even Paul Verhoeven was acknowledged that the performances weren't the greatest. However, when he was looking for his actors, he wanted people who resembled the Nazis' ideal Aryan specimens. For inspiration, he turned to the 1935 pro-Nazi film Triumph of the Will. Really? Some of the most recognizable names in the movie are actors with blonde hair and white complexions, such as Neil Patrick Harris, Jake Busey, Amy Smart, and Van Dien. The film was full of good-looking Caucasians, which was done deliberately to evoke Nazi Germany. 
Yeah, and that um, that movie that he's talking about, that's a quite a famous movie written yep. and directed by a woman. Lenny oh, Riefenstahl. I did not know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, additionally, the first scene of Starship Troopers was adapted shot for shot from a scene from Lenny Riefenstahl's propaganda film. The scene in question features the mobile infantry standing at attention, which is identical to the Nuremberg rally scene from Triumph of Interesting. Will. And I was shocked by that because it is such a, I mean, at least the, the scenes that stood out to me were the multicultural, like we have all different stripes of people joining up for the mobile inventory and the post-gender thing, you know, it was like to, well, to mean, read this was shocking about, to me. Except if you think about it, if that, if it made so much of an impact on Paul Verhoeven and his politics would suggest the film he made. Mm-hmm. Those are things you never forget, you know? And there are things that my child, everybody's childhood, that you remember, not necessarily fondly, uh, the actual incident, Mm -hmm. um, but you remember as part of your childhood. I'll give you an example. I remember being in high school when Tiananmen Square happened. Okay. And I don't, I didn't, I was obviously super far removed in New York uh, from all of that. I didn't understand the politics at hand. I didn't understand the problem at hand, Mm -hmm. other than at a very high level for a high schooler. Yeah. And yet... I, I will always identify that those photos, whenever you see them, and you see them every now and again, of the the one person in front Dude of all the tanks, the tanks yeah. um, it, it, that will always be anachronistic to me to back at that moment in time. So okay. I wonder if a similar thing happened for him, like he can't forget that sort of vision, but wanted to put a better face. He wanted to make, apparently wanted to make a statement as well as make a movie. Uh, Jake Busey suffered heat stroke during filming. I mean, he is a very pale boy. <laughs> Here, here's a, his quote. Um, let's see. Okay. The, first of all, the movie was shot in the desert, coupled that with being forced to wear a spacesuit, and you can imagine how comfortable it might have been. Busey recalls the experience in an interview with Esquire. Quote, it was 115 degrees, and I was standing in the sun in a suit that didn't breathe. I'm from a pretty fair-skinned white Nordic bloodline. I can't handle the sun like that. Yeah, I. You know what, Busey, my brother. Yeah, I feel. We, uh, I we, feel you. I. I the we had sun empty is sets. Not. <laughs> we had empty set are not friends with the sun. No, the sun Pallet, is not for my people. Complexion people. No. Also, they had to shut the movie down for a week for Busey's heat stroke, which cost the production one point five million dollars. That is staggering. Mm. Here's one: test audiences hated Denise Richards' character. Despite fighting for a far-right ideological cause, Johnny Rico is an endearing character and ultimately very likable. When we meet him, he's very much in love with his high school sweetheart, played by Dean Richards. And while she seems to reciprocate the affection at first, you can't help but feel she's gazing, stargazing into a future that doesn't include her boo. In the movie, it is implied that her character has feelings for her starship co-pilot, and that's because she does. In the film's original cut, she eventually left Johnny for him. However, test audiences are so vocally scathing about the storyline that those scenes failed to make the final cut. As I said, let's get it on. Well, no, no. That's, are we talking about the movie or are we talking about the script? Uh, well, I, I could see the heat. I could sense Damn. that. I could sense that heat. Now, number seven. I love this one. The Highlander Connection. Mm. Since its release, Starship Troopers has become a cult classic. As such, its young actors, Casper Van Dien, Neil Patrick Harris, Jake Busey, and Denise Richards, have grown older and been embraced by geekdom. At the time, though, Verhoeven made sure to throw in some established cult icons to lend some gravitas to the proceedings. And the just two happen to be the villains in the Highlander franchise. Clancy Brown, who played the intimidating but fun Sergeant Simmons Starship Troopers, appeared opposite Christopher Lambert in the first and best Highlander movie as the savage Victor Victor Kruger. Victor Kruger, yeah. Victor Kruger. Better to burn out than to fade away. Mm -hmm. Michael Ironside, on the other hand, who played Lieutenant Gene Razek, cast as General Katana in Highlander 2 The Quickening. To this day, the worst sequel ever. Because the guys who wrote the sequel clearly didn't even watch the original. It's a completely different take on the whole thing. It's insane it's how okay. different they it's, are. It's okay, though. Why? Because the, what is the one thing you know about the Highlander? Uh, that he, there can only be one. Yeah. So there is only one Highlander. It's the first one. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, now, here's where things got a little shocking for me. Number six, the book was required Marine Corps reading. Marine Corps professional reading programs started life as the Commandant's Reading List in 88, but they've been recommending books to read as far back as the 19th century in a bid to strengthen their own knowledge and motivate them for war. While each Commandant has since 1980 has added their own suggestions to the program since its inception, many of the books have been on it since its inception, including Starship Troopers. A sci-fi novel about killing bugs might seem silly in many ways, but the themes which resonate within the pages of Starship Troopers appeal to the mindset needed for marine life. The book has also influenced military concepts and their war gear. For example, it's been hailed as the inspiration for introducing face shields. Hmm. In addition to the Marine Corps, the novel is also required reading for the U.S. Navy. Do you have one more or are we done? Uh, let's let me see, scan through here. You get one more. 
Oh, one more for crying out loud. Okay, this is it. This answers a lot of questions. Okay, the final I didn't know one. I had a lot of questions. You have, you know you have questions. I don't think I have a lot of questions about Star Trek. When I'm done with this, you tell me this wasn't a question for you. The one question I have is, what is that thing I don't know? I can answer that. As I said, it answers questions. It wasn't originally based on a book. Before it became an adaptation of Heinlein's novel, the film was originally supposed to be called Bug Hunt at Outpost 9. However, when similarities were noted between Ed Neumeyer's concept and the classic sci-fi tale, the rights to the book were licensed and the story was mined source material. Given that the film started out as an original script, there are several differences between the book and the film. In fact, the movie was a pretty loose adaptation, with events and characters tweaked at the behest of Neumeyer and Verhoeven. For example, in the book, Johnny is called Juan. Additionally, the film is ideological opposed to the viewpoints that Heinlein expresses in the novel, which... They'd say they'll discuss later on. Uh, that said, doesn't Bug Hunt at Outpost 9 sound like a perfect asylum knockoff movie? Someone should make that happen. <laughs> Not us, though. We've got other things to do. We do. We do. So I think we are done discussing the fabulous, yeah, cheesy We've, we've gone over an hour tasting this delicious, melty cheese that is one of my oh, favorite movies. Okay. So we hope you guys have enjoyed this episode 30 of Story Smack. You can find Scott and I online. Scott is at Scott Sigler on Twitter and Instagram. And his Facebook page is facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. I am at a real girl on Twitter and at a.real.girl on Instagram. You can find us together online at scottsigler.com slash storiesmack. And we would love to see your comments there. You can always find us on iTunes. Search for Scott Sigler Audiobooks and subscribe. You will get a free audiobook episode every Sunday and you will get a good, healthy dose of Story Smack in there as well. Yes, because you don't want to live forever. I know. Well, I, yes. Actually, I, I kind of do. You do. I was going to say, you kind of do. I don't, <laughs> but you do. Uh, so that does it for this episode 30 of Story Smack. And until next time, we will talk to you all real soon. Real soon. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.